0: For information about investing in character led companies, please visit www.rocinvestments.com and join the growing number of investors choosing to make character a priority when investing their money.
1: Welcome to another episode of Return on Character Podcast with me, your host, Dan Cooper, founder and CEO of Rock Investments, an investment strategy that allocates capital into the public markets based on the character of leadership of companies we invest in. Uh, I'm honored to have Sin- Cindy Tetro, CEO Brandless with us today. Um, I'm going to say hello. Please say hello and welcome.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
1: It's so nice to have you. Um, I'm I'm going to just give a little bit of context for this extraordinary woman by simply communicating her accomplishments or, or, or things Moments that she's been recognized. And then we're going to go backwards and say, how in the world did this woman get to this, to get all these recognitions? Um, she's been recognized as CEO of the Year, Woman of the Year, Contributor of the Year, Top 10 Coolest Entrepreneurs, envious of that title, received Stevie Award for Entrepreneurs of the Year, Innovator of the Year, and been recognized as the most successful businesswoman to watch. Wow. Cindy, how how did that happen? First of all, let's give context for where you sit today. You are the sure. c- CEO of Brandless. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Brandless and um, and what it's doing in the world.
0: Yeah, so at Brandless, it's a, it's actually just this really great platform. So it's a, this multi channel platform. We have consumer products that are better for you, and we've really built this platform that our brands and products that are all better for you, that help people and families and the planet live healthier. And so we really view ourselves as partnering with great creators and curating things that really make a difference for people and help them live healthier. And we've done that through some really great strategies of both acquiring companies and Mm -hmm. then just growing those companies and continuing to accelerate that strong differentiation they are in the better for you space. So it kind of blends a little bit where you're talking about being purpose-driven and also being able to build an engine that just makes a difference for people and consumers and customers.
1: How do you get in? How do you get a brandless out there in the world? I mean, there's so many different places to buy things. How right. how, how is it that uh, brandless starts to become uh, a, a go to place for some of these impact kind of products? So
0: we really think, just from a consumer perspective, that the, the world today is you must meet customers and consumers where they're at. Like you no longer get the luxury of saying, Oh, I'm only over here, over here. So we really look at it as where your customers are that are looking for these, you find them. So you find us in everything from, you know, direct to consumer, the websites, find us in Amazon, you find us in retail stores. Okay. Those products and brands that are part of our ecosystem, you will find in any of those places.
1: Yes. Well, you recently completed a, a raise of hundred and eighteen million dollars for, for brandless. Mm-hmm. This right, correct? Yes. Um now that's that sounds kind of nice in general, but the most more significant fact is is that, uh, and, and I learned this from listening to some of the the other podcasts is that, and I had no idea that this is the case is that women struggle to raise capital. It's harder for a woman to raise yep. money than a man. Tell me why and um tell me a little bit about your experience in raising that money for brandless and ultimately taking it to market and using it today now to grow your business.
0: You know, you think about raising capital. People, you know, I live in an ecosystem in Silicon Slopes where capital is getting raised all the time. And so we all know the numbers that say, okay, capital is harder for women to, to raise. I will actually, I will tell you that that is very true. So I remember when some of my mentors, when the very first time I raised for one of my companies, he's like, "Okay, Sid, it's a math game. You're gonna go do 100 conversations, and like three people are gonna put money in you." And <laughs> you know, my odds are like I think my odds are 20% of my male counterpart. And I was like, "Okay, I'm a math person. Like I get this. I get my numbers. I can go like execute in that game and jump in." And but what they don't really tell you is what it really means is that 97% of the people are rejecting you. And Mm -hmm. that's the part that's the hardest, is that you're walking into these ecosystems where, because everyone has an investment thesis. You have one, we were talking about it earlier. Everyone has this thesis that says, I'm gonna invest in companies that look like this, or that founders are connected in my network like this, or they're in this specific domain, or they're at this specific stage, or I can allocate this percentage of my dollars for um, the raise. And so they all tell you that. And so of course you're gonna have lots of rejections. But the fact that my ability to raise capital is just already impeded makes the job really hard. As I've dissected this over the years, because I've raised capital in many different ways, and it actually hasn't gotten easier. I wish I could tell you that from the first time I raised a decade ago to today, that the world had changed and it was easier, and it's not. And I think about this often because I think one of the greatest inhibitors to truly changing the dynamics of the world and creating equity across leadership and organizations is actually tied to this core problem, because generational wealth and the ability to truly make impact, only 10% of the world's women hold generational wealth. Mm -hmm. And what that tells you is that the power structure is still significantly off. And the way that you create and influence more power so that we get all of the great talent that you get from both sides thinking about solving the world problems is you put more capital in their hands. You create more liquidity options for them, but you can only do that when they sit in senior seats. And when capital is harder to raise, it makes the entire ecosystem struggle. Because the way the ecosystem works is network-based. I will never close capital from a conference room, no matter how many people love me in a boardroom, no matter how many people believe in my story and they can see who I am. They don't close a deal because I walked in that room and told a great story. They close a deal because of a trust network that exists around me or not around me. Mm -hmm. And it inherently already exists more significantly for your male counterparts than it does for women, because women are in those haven't been in those rooms and they're fighting their way in. And so by the nature of that, it creates this cycle that is super complex. It has challenges at every stage. And we have yet to really fundamentally change the ability for women to raise capital. I wish my hundred and eighteen million weren't actually even a bar that there were hundreds of women who had already surpassed that, you know, even 18 months later, but they haven't because the world is very complex. And then you add economic indicators in today, and it's even more yep. complex than it was before.
1: So do you think that that ratio or, or your success rate would change if there were more women actually stewarding the capital uh, in those meetings that you're having in the 90, meetings versus just yeah. men?
0: I think there's two things that would fundamentally change. So I, I call it my like, you're headed to the game. So lots of friends who raise capital, and we have this conversation all the time. Like, okay, so you go in, you have two companies, exact same stage, they go in and pitch for capital. Meetings go phenomenally well. The thing that happens after is different for me versus my male counterpart. After the meeting, let's say the meeting's great, everyone like builds this relationship and someone says, hey, I got two tickets to the, the NBA basketball game tonight, do you want to go? It happens every time to your male counterpart. It happens 0% of the time to me. Sure. Right. And then what happens is they go to the game and they're like, oh my gosh, we had such a great time. We talked so much more in depth about right. deal terms. We know how to get this deal. And they actually get the deal done. Right. right. And that door doesn't open for women.
1: But if there was a woman
0: offering then it could. Often,
1: do you think the ratios would change? In other words, you're yes. saying like mm-hmm. a lot of wealth is sitting in the controlling our hands of, of males. Yep. Um, if, if it was 50 50, you know. Oh, totally. I don't think we'd have the conversation. You don't have the conversation. Okay. Uh Well, let me get down to, you see, tell me the type of industry or the type of business environments that you've generally made your career in. uh, And how did you get started?
0: So at the core of who I am, I am a technologist and I am an innovator. I did my undergrad in computer science Uh and I did my, actually did my, um, my minor in dance. So this blend of like creativity, innovation, and tech, everything I've ever done is grounded at those like three intersections. Sure. And it hasn't taken me in like a straight path. Like I didn't come out and say, oh, I'm headed into development. I'm going to spend the rest of my career in that. What I've done is taken the blend of those three and done really amazing things that have created learning journeys. So I spent some of my early days in what you consider like business to business, document management, software compliance, network engineering. I mean, I've... You know, because I'm not like coming into my career today, I've punched phone connections in walls and run network cables and set up that entire wow. infrastructure wow. Um, all the way into building, you know, software. And those paths took me into places like I spent about six years at Disney. And my job there was how do you build, how do you take technology and build companies out of it that we would roll internal to the Disney organization? So that it took me down paths of building companies and, technology around 3D printing and AI and robotics, Uh like I've had this really, because of my tech background, it's really awesome opportunity to take technology, match it with what customers would purchase or need to interact with, and then actually deploy those as businesses and drive revenue from them. And I've done that every
1: place. So it sounds like you're an entrepreneur within established organizations, blazing new opportunities within those organizations. Is that fair?
0: I've had lots of opportunities to do that. And I've started my own companies too. So when really? I left Disney, I raised capital and I started a 3D printing personalization company. So we could make you Iron Man, literally. We had a software that would like scan your face. And then um, you could buy yourself a first as a full 3D printed, full color collectible. And then eventually Hasbro made a toy line for us for Marvel and Star Wars. So you could buy yourself as a poseable action figure. We deployed it across Walmarts and Targets and all sorts of places, and then we sold that company a few years later. So I've I've had deep experience on both sides of the table.
1: That's amazing. Um, Talk to me a little bit about Mm. character from your perspective, and and I'll just give you a a quick run through. We look for leaders that are showing character habits um, of responsibility, do what they say, uh, integrity, um, forgiveness, and compassion. And the research has pointed to the fact that whenever you see those four character habits showing up in leaders, uh, performance tends to correlate. Um, do you think that that's the case in, in, say, the world that you live in now, the, uh, the venture and the private equity world? And is it an advantage or a disadvantage, I guess would be the first question.
0: Okay, so you have a million ideas going through my mind because I've been deep in conversations and thought about this, especially this year, because I've decided that I feel like I'm in the minority of my leadership style. And I'll give you a couple of reasons which are related to what you say. So I think deeply about the diversity on my teams. I think deeply about how I have a responsibility to accelerate pathways for women and women in technology um, because... You know, in tech, only 23% are women, only 5% of executives. Like, I I just have this deep sense of responsibility around things that I can do to open doors. And so I have this perspective about how you develop talent and how you should be accelerating that talent. And I actually would say I hire way more on the traits that you just said than someone's domain um, expertise. Because at the end of the day, the people I need around me to help me are people that I trust, are people that I believe believe in people are people that know, because my life every day is solving some crisis. I can Mm. guarantee you something's going to blow up every day. And I need creative problem solving without emotion. I need the ability to be able to assess what those are and like understand the system and parts and rapidly adapt to that without blowing up the people along the way. And so I have, And what's interesting in the companies that i built is I would tell you that as I initially start those companies and even build out to the first hundred, 70 to 80% of the people who who want to come work for the company are people who I have crossed paths with over my career. That's Mm -hmm. one of my tests. Like if I'm a good leader, people will want to work with me again at some stage in their career. And if I'm not Mm -hmm. a good leader, then I didn't do a good job leaning into their talent and finding a place for them to succeed. I will have failed. But most people don't think about it that way. Most people think about it as like, I've got execution and I've got P&Ls and I've got these exact responsibility and there can be collateral damage with the people along the way and you should get in and do your job. And I look at it like if I can empower people, they might not all stay and work for me forever, but if I can lean into their talents, if I can give them an environment of success, and if I can believe that the whole person has to show up, it's not just about what they do here. Like people have, I build my career with having a family. I expect and demand flexibility from jobs I'm going to take. I expect and demand that from the ecosystem that I'm going to build. Because when I do that, people actually give me more in return in building those companies. But you know what? As the world has changed and economic indicators have changed, we've seen everyone from the pandemic who let people embrace flexibility spring all the way back to requiring butts in seats and saying, your accountability and your value is based on what I see. But I just fundamentally don't believe that. I believe you build teams with great people and you swap out people who aren't fits as rapidly as you can, because if you cannot work together as a team and different teams need different players, then you're never going to get to the success that you need. But I've reflected often that I feel very much in the minority of my leadership style. So I have yet to decide if I feel like it's completely rewarded. Whether or not
1: it's an, in fact an edge in your business That's right. Or, or... Um,
0: Like, I know it doesn't hurt my business because my team is amazing and our execution is amazing. But what I cannot yet determine is um, the impact that it has from the external stakeholders that determine um, how fast they
1: invest and accelerate you. Right, right. Well, it's a fascinating discussion because, um, you know, whenever you don't have. uh, an orientation around creating an enduring organization that lives beyond you and you're orienting really much more for the exit, uh, or, uh, for a specific transaction. Uh, I think humans are more naturally a- able to justify being mean, if you will, <laughs> you know, like just saying, yeah. Hey, look, we got to get this done. I mean, and don't worry about it. You'll get paid. And I know it's painful, uh, but I'm going to ruin your life for the next three years. And, and, uh, but this you sounds like you're going a different path, which is really exciting, yeah.
0: i I actually don't know how to build any other way, to be honest. And I yeah. I can never bring myself to do the other thing, so I never will um because I don't just fundamentally don't believe that's how you lean into people because at the end of the day, everyone's on this journey, and you need talented people to help you build. You need them fully committed to you, your organization and your infrastructure. But you like but everyone also has lives. And part of our job of building companies and economic value, is also to just allow people to do good things for the world. And if you can't do both, are you really building something that people should work for and live into? I don't know.
1: Cindy, how did you develop into this type of leader? I mean, I know it's not fun to introspect you know, all the time, but how did you have examples, mentors, uh, did you have a bad boss? This, you said, "Man, I'm never, gonna, I'm never going to lead that way." Or did you have a good boss? I said, "Man, I hope I can be like that for other people in the future." Did you have a parents that, that that role modeled a certain type of behavior or standard? Uh, how, where does this come from? Because um, I yeah. agree, like for you, <laughs> for you, it's just it seems like it's like breathing. It's not a tactical move. It's like this it's is not. who I am. You know, I. I and it's always curious to me, is to people like you, is how how did who I am become?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a lifetime journey, right? Of this this constant evolution. I I guess I would point to, to two things. I had this experience early on in my career, so I've always been like, you know, hep- very ambitious. Or I'm going to go accomplish these things. Like when I did my grad work. Um, I'd come out of my computer science degree and I was like, okay, I want to go to grad school, which grad school is, I don't know. I'll take the GRE, I'll take the GMAT, I'll apply to all these places. And it ends up that there's this intersection where I got my my acceptance to my daytime MBA program and a job offer the same week. And I actually went to them. and I'm like, I want to come work full time. Will you work with my schedule? And so for like two years, you know, I'm like 24 hours a day in. And quickly after I took my first job out of MBA school... I went into this leadership role of product management, very technical product management. And I remember my boss came to me at the time and he was, and this for me became a very strong inflection point that made me very much more introspective about who I was. He's like, sit, you have to stop talking so much in those meetings. Everyone doesn't need to hear your opinion all the time. (laughs) And it's one of those moments where you actually get to choose how you handle it, right? You're like, either like that guy's a total jerk. He has no idea what he's talking about. Or you say, I'm going to actually make a change. And I, maybe he's right. And maybe people are perceiving me a way I didn't want them to. And for me, I chose the latter. And this became this journey of I'm forever going to take feedback. And then I leaned really heavily in my so, career into product validation to figure out how products went to market. And I went on a thousand interviews across the country to figure out if we were building this right product. This very specific methodology that, that ultimately became part of a book called Nell and Then it. I forget
1: the, the phraseology you used was forever uh, receipt looking for feedback. Uh, feedback. I love that. I mean, like, did you pursue it in your life? Like, did you constantly, because it was a part of something that you kind of made as part of your, your interaction with people?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, cu- so quickly after, you know, I have my boss tell me this, I ended up in this career path where I was doing this product validation. And the number one thing in product validation is that you're telling people what something is, what it's not you're asking them to do procurement and justification. And every meeting when you would walk out, you would start to say things on feedback like, how well did we do? Did we communicate what we were supposed to? What would we adjust? And this very quickly became in my DNA. I still do it today. My chief legal officer who used to work for a completely different leader than me um, years ago, like I'll walk out of a meeting and I'll be like, should I have done something different? How do you guys think that went? Should we, should like, do you think it was perceived? Well, I don't really think I answered that question very well. What other way should we do that? How do we think about adjusting that? And he's like, he was taken back all the first times I did that. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, how do I know? Right? Like other people see other things. I think I'm pretty good at reading the room, but I didn't like how I did that. And for me, that has become so core to who I am of, I don't know any other way to become better if people aren't willing to tell me things I don't know, I don't know, or where if I could have done something, I could have gotten a better outcome. And there have been times where I haven't done things. I'm like, I totally messed up the trajectory of what could have been because I didn't do what I should have and someone should have stopped me or I should have leaned in more to what I intuitively knew in that moment. So I, it's just been something. And I think that has what makes me more introspective as a leader because I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm going to mess up a bunch of times. I know that I'm gonna be in situations where I could have done better and sometimes I get short on time, so I do a bad job or sometimes I didn't think about it right. so I do a bad job. but if i can be if I cannot repeat that same problem and just repeat a new problem, then I'll continue to be on a path. And if I can expect that of the people around me, I believe they too become better,
1: yeah. what was the what was the most character defining moment in your career? Um, I think there have been I was I was kind of thinking
0: through this, like, what are those big moments? That feedback was a big moment for me. That, like, having someone be so blunt um, and showing that you should do that as a leader. There was another moment. So after I decided to leave Disney, and I was doing my own 3D printing company, and let's see, I've had, you know, there have been places where building careers super hard. I've been people. There have been people I'll never work for again along the way. Boards I'll never sign up to work for again. Right. But when I started my own company. And I was raising capital. I was doing the second round of raising capital. And it could not have been more brutal in the second round. I had had to push one of my partners out of the business about six months before. And I had term sheets on the table. I was in that game of like, I can't even answer my email until I get to work because someone will have rejected me Oof. in my fundraise at that moment. And it becomes- I've been there. It's, yeah. it's really hard to not make it a personal reflection. Right. You know, you're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I am not good enough to like sit- in that role and so i was in this space of like i can't open my email till i get to the office because it's too it's too it's too much i have term sheets on the deal i'm still dealing with people who have equity ownership in the business who want to like blow those things up um, and it actually one of my deals the deal i really needed got blown up because of those dynamics with like three days to close on the transaction and i had signed one of my national retail agreements about two weeks before that. And so all of this came to the exact same moment in time. And so I've got this national retailer. I've got this financing situation. I've got, you know, all the things that you can imagine coming around that. And it was the moment where I I actually had to decide who I was going to be and how I was going to do it because the easiest thing to do would have been to walk away. The easiest thing to do would have been to say, it's too much right, like the pathways through and finding the what-ifs are, are too heavy, right, sure. and the toll is too great. Problem is I'm not really good at that, uh, which makes me immensely loyal along the way, and especially because people work for you and other people depend on you and you're building something. And so it always puts me in this path of there are options. There's always a path. It might not look like what you thought on day one. It might look completely different, but there is always a way through. Mm -hmm. And so that puts me constantly in this place of, okay, pick up the phone. Who are the 100 things? Kind of culminated on a Friday night at 5 o'clock, one of my key partners that I needed for this install nationwide calls me. And they're like, sit. And we're two weeks away. It's like, we're not going to make it. We're backing out. We're not going to deliver what you need to in two weeks. You're on your own. It's like Friday at 5. And I just like, I leave the office. I'm like, I can't even think about it. So Monday I come back in the office and I'm like, hey here team, like here's all the things that are going on. Will you guys brainstorm with me a list of everything that could might possibly solve this problem? We come up with a list of like 40 things on the whiteboard. And I was like, do you know, at the end of the day, none of this might work. And I told them that, like, I might be asking the impossible, but just play one game with me. So we start going down the list and this includes every family and friend we ever possibly knew in order to get something done. At the end of the day, we missed our install by one day. And it became for me this moment sure. of, you're right, there always is a pathway forward. And if you have the right people around you and you can get everyone into the same mentality, of, it might not succeed, but if we try, it's worth the effort. And we actually don't, we don't know what we're gonna run into. I promise, tomorrow we'll co- make a phone call, we'll think it's gonna go and then something's gonna blow up. Like I can guarantee you that, that so that's the path we're on. It ended up taking like 150 family members Um, every person we ever knew for that entire weekend in order to get the things ready that we needed to ship to those stores to open them for holiday. And everyone did it and they stepped in and we solved that. And as I reflect on that, like that's the thing that you're doing. You're building people, you're building character in the moments of those. You're building, that even if we ended up failing, you're building this mentality that you can dive in and work together. And it's okay if it fails at the end because you did everything possible that you were supposed to do to find out where it was supposed to go.
1: I love that story. I mean, because it, normal is that it doesn't always work out right. I mean, that's the normal state. We can look at bios and we can look at everybody's success, but most of the time there are, it's littered in scenarios where you're constantly fighting the fact that things aren't working and you're trying to solve for it. Okay. And to me, that makes you makes, makes you far, far more relatable. And, and I appreciate you sharing that story. I love it. Tell me, What you would say to a younger Sydney, Cindy, Sid—I'll call uh, uh, you—today, a woman uh, in the tech industry uh, pursuing a career and a life? What advice would you have?
0: Um, You know, the that's a a good question because I (laughs) it's um, I think I would say it's okay to take more risk earlier. So, I came out of college in that era where most people didn't think about like entrepreneurship early on. Like corporate jobs were the thing that you do. Right. Right. And that you lean into those. And it wasn't until I was in my first corporate job and then everyone was actually leaving to go like do more high risk things. Because I think the high risk things are actually early, easier earlier in your life than they are later in your life. Right. And I think that when you're coming out of school, that every idea that you have that you think can make a difference, you should actually do because there'll never be a better time in your life. Eventually you're going to have kids and family and a mortgage and all of these other things that align incentives, just like leaders, right? We, we get it incented by the things that we have to prioritize when you're younger in life. The, like the world is open to you and you should go after every one of those and you shouldn't be afraid to fail earlier in your career and take those risks.
1: I love that. Thank you very much for that. That's so good. listen, Uh, It's been an absolute honor to have you on the show. I appreciate your wisdom and your willingness to share uh, your heart and and your experiences. Tell us how we can learn more about Brandless uh, and how people can uh, begin utilizing Brandless in their everyday life, uh, just so that we're aware.
0: Yeah, so obviously there's Brandless.com, and we also just part of our products and brands are some really cool products, which like everyone should know about. So we, we focus in your body, on your body, around your home, all about living uh-huh. healthier. Like one of my favorite products is we have um, a product called Planta. It's like the world's leading plant-based protein. Um, it flies sure. off the shelf. Banana um syrup or banana maple, French toast, top selling flavor. Sure. And it's like everyone's favorite flavor. So what I love about it is like you're giving healthier products. So we sell things like that. It's under, um, plant a name we also have just really cool products that like help people words i like diatomaceous so we have this thing called the diatomaceous bath mat it's made out of earth source material uh, but it immediately like soaks up water and it doesn't hold bacteria so i just love products like that that have this innovation that are heavily differentiated all of them you can get to from brandless.com but they just for me represent how do you live healthier how do you make better choices for your family and that's really what
1: we do i love it well, thank you for being with us, uh, and good luck in all your future acquisitions and success of, uh Brandless.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. For information about investing in character-led companies, please visit www.rocinvestments.com and join the growing number of investors choosing to make character a priority when investing their money.